0: And welcome to Speak A Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. And man, it's beautiful today. High of 60 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, sun shining down, and isn't that why I live in Florida? Yes, and sorry if you don't. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, No, but really, it's gorgeous here. It's just, it's absolutely perfect. It's a day that just makes you feel good and energized, and I love it. So thank you for joining in with me today. Thanks for being here. And I appreciate everybody that's listening so far. If you haven't clicked that subscribe button, make sure you go ahead and do that. You can also leave me a review, leave me a rating, let me know what you're thinking. I'd love to hear your input. Now today, I have an excellent podcast lined up, wouldn't you know it. First segment today, it's going to be all about getting a new puppy. What to expect, what to do, and maybe a little of what not to do. Then we're going to have our breed of the week, followed by our guest spot, And today's guest is Adam Geltz from Natural Encounters Incorporated. And Adam is a good friend of mine I've known for a few years. He's a senior trainer over there at Natural Encounters, and they do some amazing stuff. Now, they're a behavioral animal training company, as well as they do anything animal education and conservation. So we got some good conversations going on there today, and I really enjoyed that interview with Adam, so be sure you listen in. And then we're going to finish everything up today with the listener Q&A. And if you guys have any questions about dogs or dog training in general for that Q&A segment, you can email me at questions at speakadogcast.com. Now, in the meantime, kind of wanted to chat with you guys and, you know, tell you a little bit about what's going on in my life and my my training world, the training world of the nature of training and David Farb, uh, (laughs) what's happening with my clients and maybe some cool dogs we got um, working with, and it's been it's been a crazy few weeks. I mean, I feel like my brain's going everywhere. It's gotten really busy, which is phenomenal. Something I've definitely definitely missed in this past year. So I'm very grateful for that. Uh, but then there's the personal side where I, <laughs> we have a hole in our roof right now. Uh, yeah, we had a solar panel leaking and it, it put a hole in the roof. Luckily caught it in time and you know, no damage. We're getting it repaired, but it's just one extra headache to everything, you know? And when it rains, it pours right. Uh, <laughs> literally on top of my roof. Um, <laughs> so it's been a crazy few weeks and Like I said, it's been wonderful. I've gotten some new clients right now. I've got a couple boot camps going on. I've got uh, Little Bear, and he's a boxador, and that's a Boxer Lab mix. He's a cool little dog, and he's had a a little bit of some aggression tendencies. He's a rescue, and he needs some confidence. He's a 10-month-old puppy. His aggression tendencies have been more unleashed toward unfamiliar dogs, and so this little guy just needs some confidence building, and that's what we're doing. And then I've got another little Jack Russell here who is also in my boot camp and well, he's a little feisty guy too, very controlling behaviors. Now he is a rescue also. And you know, a lot of these rescues, they come with this baggage. And if we, if we don't kind of guide and direct it in a proper way, it can, it can spin out of control very quickly or even before you even, the, the, the client gets the dog. So, um, the good news is they're, they're both making good progress in a short amount of time, and I love when I see that, and we're working hard, and you can always visit my Instagram, either David davidpaws, or even Speak a Dogcast, right? Either one. Uh, but David Paws, I like to show um, a lot of my training updates and working with the dogs. You can always see some cool information there. And of course, you can find me on Facebook, The Nature of Training, or Speak a Dogcast. So check that out. You know, there's some good info. And hey, even we'll put some stuff up on the website soon, speakadogcast.com. Shameless plugs going on left and right here. Don't mind me. Uh, but be sure you check it out. Find me on social media. Do me a favor. Follow me. It always helps out. And, you know, especially where a couple up episodes in so every little bit helps every extra follow helps and i do i greatly appreciate it guys so it's been it's been a fun two weeks here and recently i actually also spent an in-home training session at a dog park and i just did my segments on uh, a segment on the dog parks on dog parks last week you guys can check that segment out if you haven't already and this dog park was one of those private neighborhood dog parks. It's, it's a dog park that's located within a neighborhood and only people that live within the neighborhood are allowed to access the dog park. So long story short, went there with my client, a couple of her friends were there with their dogs and it was a nice time. It really was. And this community is an older retirement community and it was nice to see people out a little bit again. And of course, practice you know, social distancing. We were outside and, um, it was just, it felt good. It felt good to be around my clients, to meet with people, to chat with people, to meet their dogs, do a little bit of training with their dogs, uh, and get to know these ladies a little bit more on a personal level, and get to know, like I said, get to know their dogs more on a personal level, and it just felt very nice, and I, I was grateful for that experience, and that they invited me in and leted me, let, let me participate uh, in their, their group, in their camaraderie, in their community, and. You know, I think what I missed most about about being around good people is kindness, and you know people irritate me <laughs> I can't lie. I get irritated with people. I'm sure you do too. everybody does at times, but the one thing I always love about good people and and people in general, I think everybody's got kindness in them, but that's just i miss I miss the kindness and it's been stressful this past year on all of us. And it's, it's hard, you know, it, it can be very difficult to lack of a better phrase, keep it all together. You know, <laughs> I mean, really, we've all been struggling. We've all been working those of us that work for ourselves, those of us in, in all these different uh, industries and those of us that are even retired and, and you become so isolated that it can be difficult. So it's, it's been hard on all of us in a lot of ways. And like I said, it was nice to experience some humanness and some kindness and I would love to stress to everybody to try to spread that around as well. And kindness doesn't come in just thoughts and words. It comes in action. So let's see if we can't try to remember that. And, and you know, take a lesson from animals. Take a lesson from dogs. It was, you know, while I was at the dog park, my client's dog and another dog that was there, they, they actually got in a little tiff and, I saw it coming, but I couldn't quite get to it fast enough to redirect it before it started. But again, because I was paying attention, because I was aware, I was able to break it up and nothing happened. Now, less than 10 minutes later, these two dogs are sitting next to each other, hanging out without a problem and not trying to kill each other. I don't know two human beings really that can do that. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. So we can kind of take a lesson from those dogs and try to take a deep breath and remember we're all stressed out. We're all being pushed to our limits right now and, and try to take and find those moments of kindness and, and humanity. That's, that's what I kind of would like to say. And that's what I felt the other day. And that's what I wanted to share with you guys. Um, so just, just try to remember that we need to try to share kindness in this world with each other and, and, that's, that's what animals, well, they don't always do it, right? Uh, that's that's a topic for a different day, because people go, well, animals are all nice. No, animals are not. Mother Nature is not nice. <laughs> but the difference that we have is we can be aware of these things as humans. We have we have that awareness that we can um, see when we're hurting somebody or, or not being kind or kindness isn't being shown, and we can really try to adjust that. So... Just take a little kindness, spread it around like it's going out of style, and I think it could help make a lot of people's days just a little bit better. So, try to remember that. Try to, try to be kind. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's all about getting a new puppy. What to expect, what to do, and maybe a little of what not to do. Now This segment today is dedicated to Todd and Pam Martin listening to my podcast and spreading the good word of Speak-A-Dogcast way out west in Boise, Idaho. Thank you guys so much for listening in. I hope you and your family are well, and Jen and I miss you guys, and I hear you're getting a new puppy in a few weeks, so congratulations. Very fun, very exciting time. Anybody out there getting a new puppy, congratulations (laughs) to you. It's awesome and a lot of fun, but man, puppies can be a lot of work, right? So we're going to talk a little about that and maybe how I can try to make your life a little bit easier. <laughs> a little bit. Puppies are still a ton of work. Uh, so, we'll, hey, we'll do what we can. Now, when you start researching and looking out there, there's a lot of you know dog advice columns, Facebook groups, blogs, trainers, um, so much information. And it can be hard to discern which resources you want to turn to. So I've tried to condense, uh, condense what I believe to be some of the fundamental rules and guidelines, maybe the do's and don'ts and We'll help you get started on the right foot. Now, as always, I do stress the importance of finding a professional dog trainer or behavior specialist in your area that you can work with. And, hey, that way you get the most out of training and, you know, you you become educated and you know what you're doing. Hey, you actually know what you're doing, right? Wouldn't that be great? Uh, <laughs> Now, we're going to assume your new puppy is under 16 weeks old. Of course, a lot of these guidelines, you guys can follow them even if your dog is older than that, but uh, we're going to talk more about a younger puppy, maybe a puppy puppy that's really a blank slate, hasn't been housebroken, nothing. And with that, let's get started and talk about housebreaking. That's the most asked about item, I would say, with puppies. I'm going to give you a few tips here. Now, these tips are a must. They're tried and true methods. I, they, they get results, and that's why I recommend you do them. First thing, you need to reward your dog every time you take them outside to pee. And I'm not just talking about affection and praise. Well, yes, we want to do that. I'm talking about a treat. You need to have a treat in your pocket, ready to go, every single time you take your puppy outside. The second they're done going to the bathroom, boom, treat right in their face and you're rewarding them. Of course, like I said, you can add that affection in too, but you have to have a treat every time. Have to, have to, have to. Please make sure you have a treat every time with you. Really, really important. Now the next thing, leash the dog up. Please don't get lazy. Please just don't open the door and let the dog go do its business and go, oh, well, I had a long night last night. <laughs> Your puppy doesn't care that you had a long night last night. you got to leash them up, take them out, guide and direct that behavior, right? I'll let you know a little secret. I sometimes actually make the dog go and start doing circles in that figure eight motion they do to work them into that kind of pee mode, right? I mean, you'll see you'll see a dog start circling. Everybody knows it. Well, with a puppy, you can actually almost force them into going by creating that motion. And you can't do that if you're not able to guide and direct them with a leash. So very important that you leash them up every time so you can guide and direct that. Now, consistency is also key. You need to make sure you have a good schedule going. Make sure your schedule of when you're letting them out is consistent, but don't be letting them out too often. As they grow, as their bladder grows, they can hold it for longer periods of time. If you're taking them out every 20 minutes... Like every twenty minutes, guess what? Your dog is going to expect to go out every twenty minutes, and that's the pattern you're going to start reinforcing. As opposed to start with every twenty minutes when they're really little, and then work your way up to thirty minutes, forty minutes, an hour, two hours, so long, and so uh, you know, so on and so forth, until you've created a consistent pattern. Another thing, control their intake and output. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, know how much food they're getting, when they're getting it, how long it's been since they've gotten it. Those are those are key factors. Not only that, um, not just the food, the water. Most people don't take the water into consideration as something they should be controlling. However, puppies will overdrink. They will just drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. They'll drink way too much, way more than they need. They'll fill their bladder up, and then they physically won't be able to hold it any longer. I've had clients go, David, I take the dog out, he goes to the bathroom, I bring him back in, and 20 minutes later, he pees again. I didn't even let him drink anything. Well, it's because he drank a whole bowl of water 40 minutes earlier when you weren't looking. So being able to control the amount of water, 10 to 15 seconds, that's all they really need to drink. Okay, Unless you've been outside and it's really hot, unless you've been doing a lot of exercise or a lot of heavy playtime, really they only need 10 to 15 seconds. When they're really little, that's it let them hold it, they go outside, they pee, I bring them back in, I let them have water again. Okay, It's a pretty consistent and easy routine you can create, but you have to create it. You have to control all those variables. And the next thing with housebreaking that's also important, crating. Yes, one of the most important factors of it, the crate. You must crate your puppy. You can go back and listen to episode four. I do a whole segment on crating and how to crate your dog, and you can listen and hear more in uh, more in-depth information on that. But for now, I'm just gonna I want to touch on just a handful of little helpful hints with the crate when you do have a small puppy. Now, like I said, crate is a must. It solves a lot of your housebreaking issues, it solves separation anxiety and more. The crate doesn't need to be huge, doesn't need to be gigantic, okay? Now depending upon short, your size, your breed, the crate needs to be big enough, just big enough, that the dog can stand up all the way comfortably, turn around in place, and lie back down. That's it. If the crate is any bigger, they're more likely to want to pee in the corner and then not lay in it. Whereas if the crate is small, they don't have an option. If they if they go to the bathroom, they're going to have to lay in it. And a dog wants to avoid lying in their pee. So that's why it's important that the crate is the right size. So how do you avoid whining in the crate? Honestly, the easiest method? Get your puppy tired. <laughs> really, I mean, that's that's it. Play with them all day long. Go for walks. One other thing, don't let them nap in the hours leading up to bedtime. If you're going to put your puppy in the crate at like, let's say, nine o'clock at night, well, guess what? From four o'clock on, puppy is not taking a nap. (laughs) I want to make sure puppy stays awake because if the puppy starts napping, well, that's going to mean it's going to have a ton of energy once you try to put it in its crate and it's more likely to whine and be frustrated, um, now, some of you are going, well, David, um, what if the puppy needs to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night? Now, look, if a puppy's really young, let, let's use our logic here. If a puppy's young and its bladder is small and it physically can't hold it. Now, I go for the rule of thumb of about 12 weeks and younger that they can't physically hold it. Sure, somewhere in the middle of the night, maybe like 2 a.m., I am going to take that puppy out. Let them relieve themselves once again, bringing a treat with me, rewarding it, and then putting them right back in the crate. And that's it. Okay, No feeding them their food, no no playtime, nothing like that. Make it very black and white. Consistency. Okay, um, That, I can understand a puppy whining, right? Not old enough to hold it. But if they're old enough to hold it, then they, they, they don't need to come out. They don't need to go to the bathroom on the hour every hour if they're 16 weeks old or even older. So keep that in mind, right? Some of you are also probably thinking right now now, David, it's COVID. I'm <laughs> I'm working from home. I don't need to create my dog. You could not be more wrong, my friend. <laughs> no, you need to create your dog. You absolutely must. There are so many reasons you need to create your dog. And if you're questioning that, I highly recommend you go back to episode four, listen to my segment on crating, and you're gonna hear some of the reasons why. Um, but I can't stress it enough; it's gonna help solve separation. Let's just touch on COVID for a minute while we're on that subject, guys. It's been a trying time for all of us. It's been a lot of stress, and um, you know, I, I'm sure our dogs are feeling some of that stress and. If you're working from home all the time, if you're home a lot, if family, if you have somebody at your house all the time right now, in a few months, things get back to normal and maybe you start going back to work or you just want to start having a life again, your dog's going to need to adjust to you not being there. So creating your dog while you're home, while you're working for an hour here, hour there can help create some uh, healthy separation healthy separation so that way your dog gets used to not being with you okay so again you can go back and listen to creating that segment on creating more and we can hear more in-depth information on that but it's very important that through these kind of crazy times and through the fact that it's not normal that we're home this much it's, it's it you need to adjust your training you need to adjust your schedules you need to adjust your exercise Got all these things that kind of go into it just Keep that in the back of your head with, with all the madness going on. So let's talk about treats, right? I'm all about treats. Nothing wrong with giving a lot of treats. Uh, you've heard my my thoughts on treats and the fact that we need to reinforce and reward good behavior. So what kind of treats do I use? Well, I like to use small, meaty treats for training purposes. I I do have a brand that I like that over the years I've, I've tried a lot of different treats, and one brand I'm very fond of is called Pet Botanics. Really good quality treat, no filler. Made in the USA. To me, that's very important. I I do look at the back and read packages. I don't want stuff made in China. I want to know what comes from here. And it's a low-calorie treat. And again, it's a small, meaty treat. There's no crumbs making a mess. When I'm training, I want the dog to be able to eat the treat. It's gone, and we move on. So Pet Botanics, phenomenal treat. uh, It works really well. I highly recommend you stay away from raw hides. Rawhides are terrible, full of chemicals. They're very difficult for a dog to digest. You don't know what's in them. There are many great alternatives, such as bully sticks and antlers, and there's a lot of good stuff on the market now. So please just just stay away from the rawhides. And and like I said, any of the China anything made in China, anything that's not made here, I try to stick with most, you know, anything natural that I really can for treats and 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 chewy treats and things like that. So Keep that in mind when you're out buying treats for your pup. Now, toys definitely want to be mindful of your dog's chewing habits. Know if your dog likes to eat toys. I'm sure some of you, like myself, can attest to those rope toys having to pull some strings out of a dog's butt. Uh, shout out to Katie Lane out there. <laughs> You know you have a good, true blue friend if they will help you express your dog's anal glands over the summer. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. Katie Busick. No offense, Brian. She's Katie Lane to me. She's going to be Katie Lane. Uh, Shout out to Katie there. (laughs) That's a little uh, inside joke, if you will. Um, Moving on. Moving on. So, (laughs) know what toys. Know your dog's chewing habits. I'm going to tell you a story here, actually. I had a client a few years back. And really nice guy, really nice family, him and his wife and his, and his daughters. And they called me in to train their three little dogs. And one of them was like a rat terrier mix. And I went in for the consultation and we're we're chatting about the behavior, of course. And I happened to notice the dog was shredding a tennis ball. And to me, it looked like it was eating the pieces of the tennis ball. And I said, Hey, you know, do you guys ever notice that the dog is eating the, eating the toy? And they said, Oh no, he just likes to shred him. He doesn't eat it. It's, it's okay. I said, all right, well, Keep an eye on that. kind of looks like he's eating. Oh, no, it's not a problem. Okay, no, whatever. Now, a day or two later, we started our in-home training sessions, and I'm there. And I had put the new collar on the dog, Martingale Collar. And we were working with the dog, and the dog was sort of going, sort of coughing a little bit, which is unusual. And we'd keep an eye on it. It seemed to be okay. And I'm out there with him and his family, and we're working in the driveway. And the dog starts again, and then all of a sudden keels over and passes out in the driveway. Now, immediately, immediately, the husband and I drop to the ground to assess the situation. We, of course, both open his mouth, try to check his airway. I reach down and I can clearly feel there is something lodged in his throat. So my client actually reaches with his full hand, reaches, scoops it out, pulls out a piece of tennis ball from his throat. Dog can breathe again, comes to, and is perfectly fine. What do you think this guy does for a living? Anybody? (laughs) Any 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 wild guesses out there? Of course, he's a lawyer. (laughs) Lives in this big beautiful home. Uh, Very good at his job. I didn't want to find that out firsthand, though. (laughs) No, he was he was very uh, you know very understanding of the situation. Things happen, and I was very impressed because he actually turned to his family, his daughters, and said, "Hey, did you see we didn't panic? Did you see we remained calm?" And we assessed the situation, and we were able to help that dog because we we stayed calm through a panicky moment. And it was kind of neat to see him turn that into a little bit of a learning situation. So that was kind of cool. But point is, you guys got to know your dog's chewing habits. Okay, because that really, that could have been potentially bad. What if we hadn't been around when that had happened? Oh, like, ugh, getting chills. Like, ugh, that's horrible. Ugh that kind of stuff does scare me a little, you know? Um, so you just, you gotta be really careful with, with the dog toys that you give your dog. And again, more importantly, know your dog's chewing habits and know what toys you should and shouldn't be giving them. Um, so just watch out for the mouth size and th- and, and size of the toy and be mindful. Be mindful. Now, uh, good places to find dog toys that are actually a little bit cheaper. You can go to those nice uh, discount retail stores. They always have a plethora of dog toys for great prices, and you can choose all different kinds. And it's a great, great, uh, great outlet for that. Now, moving on to Leash and Collar, really quick. Again, you can also go back to one of my previous podcasts. Highly recommend you listen to Training Tools. Uh, that segment is awesome. I talk all about different training tools you maybe should, shouldn't use. So I'm not going to get in depth on this right now, but I will say the leash and collar of my choice, when a dog is really little, okay, when a dog is maybe 16 weeks and younger, depending upon size and breed, I will use a regular nylon collar. That's that's going to be one of the safer methods to use and go with. But I'll still use a regular six-foot nylon leash, Now, once they get old enough, somewhere between at least 12 and 16 weeks, once again, depending upon size, depending upon breed, then I'm going to switch over to that martingale collar. Okay, Uh, Not depending upon size, breed, excuse me, I said that incorrectly. Depending upon the size and breed depends upon what age I will switch to a martingale. But every single dog and breed, I'm going to go with my tool of choice most of the time, which is that martingale collar. Now, let's just summarize our uh, what, what we've gone over so far really quick. Now, the first thing, of course, what do we want to do? We want to housebreak our dog and be consistent with it. Second thing is we want to make sure we're using that crate. That's a part of the housebreaking, but it's going to solve a lot of other problems and issues as well. The third thing, treats and toys... Definitely know what treats you're getting, where they're coming from, which ones you're buying, and of course, be mindful of your dog's chewing habits with toys. And the fourth thing is that leash and collar. Start off with a nylon collar when they're young, but then we want to move them up to a martingale collar when they get to a proper age, and we're going to always be using that six-foot nylon leash. So now let's talk about a little bit of what to expect when we bring home a young puppy. Accidents. <laughs> we can expect accidents, right? Right. Uh, yes, you can. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Look, if you guys don't want accidents in your house, then go down to your local shelter and adopt a dog that's a little bit older. Because one, that's going to help an awesome dog that needs a good home. And two, it'll make you happy because you're less likely to have accidents, more likely to adopt a dog who has been housebroken. But if you have a small puppy, yeah, accidents are going to happen. It's important that you clean them up properly. I will say, use a proper cleaner. My favorite brand, Nature's Miracle. It's good stuff. Breaks down the scent, uh, uh, the chemical composition of the urine, so the dogs can't actually smell it anymore. And that's the most important part about cleaning it up, okay? So accidents are gonna happen, but make sure you're cleaning them up with the right tool. The next thing you can expect is well, things are gonna get chewed. <laughs> your favorite piece of furniture, shoes, purse, all different kids' toys, right? All different kinds of things. And the best way to ensure that your dog doesn't chew is well, I think three things. First thing is keep them active and happy. Second thing is make sure they have plenty of their own toys to chew on. And third is to set them up for success by not leaving too many enticing things around. It's important to pick your shoes up off the ground and not leave them at a puppy level. I don't know about you, if I was a puppy, a nice leather shoe does look pretty good and looks like it might feel good on my teeth if I was teething. Uh, So set yourself up for success by not leaving that stuff around. Next thing you can expect, don't expect perfection. That's what you can expect is not getting perfection. Measure your successes in inches. You're not going to get that overnight amazing success with housebreaking or or the, the, the mouthing or any of that stuff. As long as your training is going in the right direction, you're doing okay. As long as you're not moving backwards, right? So don't expect perfection overnight. And you can also expect some annoyances, some sleepless nights. You're going to be late to an appointment or two because the puppies love to choose to have accidents when you're running behind. That's just how it happens. So expect those annoyances. If you can set yourself up for success by trying to get ready 30 minutes early, probably will have less annoyances along the way. So you're going to be late to things. Just keep that in mind. And, uh, you know, it it can be a little annoying at times. Now, what should you do? Well, the first thing you should do is be patient. Have an unlimited supply of patience on hand. And that also goes into being consistent, right? If you're patient, you can be consistent, and consistency is key. That also brings us to repetition. We want to rinse and repeat, make sure we're conditioning behaviors, and we're being consistent about it. Now, also something you need to do that maybe you haven't thought about, you need to do some research. Research the breed you're getting. Maybe you're getting a mixed breed. Know both breeds that you're getting. Look, not everybody likes to run a marathon. I don't know about you guys. I don't love to run. I run for exercise with the dogs. It's healthy. It's good for them. It's good for me. But I don't I don't love it. <laughs> Hats off to you people who enjoy running marathons. I don't get it, but that's the point. There's different personalities, different interests, different and it's no different with dog breeds, right? If I am not a person who enjoys running a ton, then maybe I'm not going to go out and get a yellow lab or a border collie or something like that. You know, if you've never had a dog before, maybe you shouldn't go get a German Shepherd because you lack the knowledge and experience. Do your research, know the breed you're getting. Please don't buy a dog just because it doesn't shed or it's hypoallergenic. While maybe some of those items or some variation of those items should be something you should take into consideration for getting that dog. It sure should not be your first reason, nor should it be the only. So do your research on what dog you're getting and what that means for their needs as well. Now, How about what not to do? Let's see if we can't keep this uh, succinct here. (laughs) Puppy pads, don't use them. They're terrible. They're awful. You don't need them. Look at it this way. I like to keep things simple with training. I've said it before, I'll say it again. K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, it, it hurts my feelings every time. Great advice. Um, <laughs> hats off to you office fans out there. Uh, no, it, puppy pads. Here's, here's here's the reality of it, guys. If I'm trying to keep things simple and I'm trying to get my dog to go outside Then that's what I want to do. I want to only reinforce the dog going outside. But the problem is if I add the puppy pad in, now I'm asking the dog to pee outside, but I'm also asking the dog to not pee inside, but yet pee inside, but only on the pee pad. Do you not see how that could be really confusing to a dog? Get rid of the puppy pads. Y'all are making somebody, uh, some CEO is a millionaire (laughs) because people keep buying these stupid puppy pads. Get rid of them. They're no good. There are very few instances I could think of a puppy pad or faux grass, uh, like a turf or something like that, being maybe in a high, very tall high-rise apartment where it takes you 10 minutes to get downstairs for your dog. Maybe. But even then, I really, really, really can't stress it enough. Don't use a puppy pad if you can avoid it. Please stop buying puppy pads. That leads me to the next thing. What not to do? Don't use bad training tools. Puppy pad, it's a bad training tool. There are a lot of BS training methods and gimmicks and harnesses and this and that and that. Look, if this thing says, use our tool, then it'll make your dog walk easier. Then it's not true. I mean, come on, guys. You ever heard that? If it's too good to be true, you know, it sounds too good. It's too good to be true. Well, of course it is. There's no magical tool. There's, look, I've been training dogs for 10 years. There is not one thing when I train a dog that fixes behavior. There's not. You have to hit it from a couple different angles. So don't buy into these gimmicks. Uh, just just avoid that kind of stuff. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple. Stupid. The second we start adding all these gimmicks and the clickers and the bell training for peeing and the puppy pads and the, the harness that's magic and the magical halter and the magic, the, the gentle leader and the... Let me ask you something. If all these tools are so magical, why are there so many different ones that are claimed they're magical for me to buy? Uh (laughs) aha, I don't know, just a thought, Um, so to me, that is one of the biggest things, avoid all the BS gimmicky stuff, it's just not worth your money, it's not worth your time, stay away from it, Uh, one of the biggest, uh, one of the last things I want to put out there that you really shouldn't do, do not get a puppy on a whim, on an emotional whim, don't get a puppy on an emotional decision, It goes back to doing your research, right? You don't want to end up with a puppy and then a few weeks later go, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? Know what you're getting yourself into. It's a commitment. You guys know this. Most everybody knows that a dog is a commitment. It's a commitment for their lifetime. So really, I encourage you to use logic, use reason, and use research when getting a puppy. Know what you're getting yourself into, and please don't get a puppy on an emotional whim. It's just not a good idea, and you're not setting yourself up for success in that way. So now we know what to expect, right? There's going to be some craziness. going to be a couple things there. When we we know what to expect, though, it can make it a lot easier. So there's going to be some accidents. There's going to be some chewing. There's going to be some annoyances, but set yourself up for success, and you can try to avoid those. What should you do? Well, you should be patient. You should provide consistency and repetition. And of course, you should do your research. What should you not do? Oh, avoid those puppy pads. (laughs) Avoid bad training tools. Get rid of those BS training methods and tools that are just gimmicks. No need for that stuff. And of course, please don't buy a puppy as an emotional decision on a whim. Puppies are an amazing thing. They're such an awesome time for a family. It really is. There can be so many things that are just... Uh, incredible about it. I mean, come on, it's a lot of fun. But make sure you do your research because that way you guys are setting yourself up for success. And I again highly recommend hiring a professional trainer or behavior specialist to uh, help you along the way. There is never an age too young for you guys to get out there and start working with a professional. It's so much better that you don't let a puppy's behavior get out of control and then try to reel it in. As opposed to starting with a puppy that's in control, letting them get excited, and then guess what? You can reel it back in because you started with control. So don't wait for bad behaviors to happen. Tackle it now so they never do. Make sure you call a professional. And of course, my shameless plug, if you're on the Treasure Coaster in North Palm Beach County, you are going to get a hold of me at thenatureoftraining.com. Reach out to me. I can help you train your dog while we do in-home training. I do boot camp training, boarding, doggy day camps, and more, so you can check it out. Now, I hope you guys learned a little bit about all that amazing information. There is so much info into training a puppy. And of course, if you still have any questions, well, send me an email. Your question might get featured on the Q&A segment. You can email me at questions at speakadogcast.com. In these crazy times we are living in right now, there is only one thing for certain. You gotta eat. And if you gotta eat, you better eat good. I know when I'm cooking and eating at home, I only wanna use the highest quality ingredients. So I turned to my friend Ken Ko over at Southern Pride Gourmet Foods. You can check him out too over at southernpridegourmetfoods.com. Now they have barbecue sauces, spice rubs, hot sauces, and jellies just to name a few i got my hands on some of that peach habanero jelly and i was putting it on everything i was eating it on my toast in the morning i also took some of ken's barbecue sauce slapped it on some pork finished it off with some of that habanero jelly stuck it in the oven and it was sweet tangy spicy deliciousness absolutely amazing now when you buy from southern pride gourmet foods you know you're getting a quality product from a quality guy Ken knows what he's talking about, and he better. He's been doing it right and doing it right for over 50 years. The best part, guys, Southern Pride delivers nationwide. That's right, nationwide delivery. Now, he also has amazing gift baskets, and with the holidays coming up, you're definitely going to want to get your hands on those, and definitely be sure you get your hands on some of the beef jerky Ken sells. It is some of the most delectable beef jerky I've ever tasted. I am a beef jerky fanatic all different kinds of flavors to choose from. You know, you just have to do yourself a favor. Head on over to SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. Check it out for yourself. That's right, SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com, where everything they have is yummy for the tummy. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Australian Shepherd. Now the Australian Shepherd is a medium-sized herding dog and they can get anywhere from 40 to 65 pounds. They're known as a true cowboy dog because they like to work hard and of course their high herding drive. Now these guys are gonna herd anything from dogs to birds to even kids, so their strong will can sometimes make them a little too much dog for some people. They're very highly intelligent, very trainable, but of course that means they need a very experienced handler. Now, generally, these guys do stay in good health. Sometimes you got to pay a little extra attention to make sure you're keeping those ears clean, especially if they're out working on the farm and getting all dirty. And it's a good idea to have regular hip and elbow evaluations, and that'll keep them on a nice, healthy track. And these guys, if you keep them in good health, they can live up to 12 to 15 years. And the origin of the Australian Shepherd, well, their origin actually comes from parts of Europe, yes. Their lineage is from some of Europe's finest herders. Their story really begins near the Pyrenees Mountains on the border between France and Spain. And it was here that an indigenous people known as the Basques built their centuries-old reputation as world-class shepherd breeders. Now, in the early eight, or excuse me, the dog of choice in this area, they they actually used a dog called the Pyrenean Shepherd, which would be the Aussie's distant cousin. And in the early 1800s, many of the Basque people were going to, you know, set sail for Australia, of course. Now, why Australia? Well, so vast, wide open lands and plenty of room for sheep herding and sheep grazing. And wouldn't you know it, they brought their Pyrenean Shepherds along with them to do the job. Now, as they began to establish themselves in Australia, the Basque people began breeding with other dogs, especially various British imports, such as Collies and Border Collies being among them. And well, after selectively breeding their dogs for years, the Basque people set sail yet again, but this time for California. Now, when they got there, the California ranchers really admired these herding dogs. They thought they were really a high-quality dog and just assumed they were an Australian breed. Well, wouldn't you know it, the name stuck, and that's how they became the Australian Shepherd. Now, of course, they were further refined and perfected in California, and that's where they came to be, the breed that we know today. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time, or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over? Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. You can find more information by checking out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. We're located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. On well, speak a dogcast, it's our guest spot, and today we are welcoming Adam Geltz from Natural Encounters Incorporated. So please help me welcome to the show, Adam Geltz. Adam, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, Dave. Excellent. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. So, uh, Adam, tell us a little bit about uh, Natural Encounters Incorporated, and you know, your position, what you guys do there, and what you're all about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Natural Encounters, uh, we are a a animal behavior company uh, where we basically work with uh, connecting people with the natural world and developing shows experiences uh, that help people to better connect with nature and also we have done a bunch of other things through our nonprofit, where we're able to help raise money for conservation efforts all over the world to even just behavioral consulting for different zoos and organizations throughout the world as well
0: nice nice and uh, you know, I think you spend your time mostly at uh, one of those big parks in Central Florida. Is that right?
1: Yes, this is true. Right here, and and sunny and rainy at the same time, Central Florida.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's awesome. So yeah, you guys put on a pretty cool animal show. I've I've heard about it, um, <laughs> and you have a lot of amazing animals. So tell me some of the cool birds and uh, that you've worked with.
1: Oh well, uh, we work with all sorts of different things. Um, like you said, mostly birds. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the cool species we're able to work with is the blue-throated macaw. And um, yeah. that's kind of awesome because those guys out in the wild, their population has dwindled to nearly 200. Um, but we've been able to work with conservation efforts in, in Bolivia to help restore that number through backhacking programs. And um, hopefully we be able to release more out into the wild. Um, but we are also able to work with a ton of other animals from chickens to uh, even birds like uh, the harpy eagle. So it's nice. a huge spread of things all across the board.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, and I've actually gotten to, you know, see, see a little behind the scenes and it's just phenomenal. It's amazing what they do there. And, um, you know, it's it's always... To me, it's always amazing when you can see a facility doing things right, and that is definitely what you guys do. You do things right, and um, you know that's that's nice. why I like to have you. That's why that's why you're here on the podcast too, right? Um, you know, I like to have organizations on that that do good things, understand animals, and um, and know how to work with them in a cohesive way, and educate the public. So that's awesome. That's very cool. So what what exactly is your uh, is your title there? Um, I'm a senior trainer,
1: uh, but that is just one label, if you will. Uh, we do many, many things. We wear many different hats and it could be anywhere from, you know, being the guy who cleans the poop all day to you know doing educational shows and teaching guests. So it's kind of a wide variety of things, but technically senior trainer. Nice. Nice.
0: And I've actually known Adam, you know, I was trying to think, I was like, how long have I known you now? And I think it was about, well, yeah, it had to be 2013 uh, because we worked together at a different animal facility also in central Florida, one of those other crazy places. And, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah, and I met Adam and, um, you know, I, I one of my favorite I, memory, it sticks out is actually when we first worked with Safari and I love Safari. God, I love that bird. And Safari's is a African auger buzzard uh, or a hawk. Maybe, um, you know, people who don't know in Africa, they actually call hawks buzzards. Uh, obviously here in the U S we call them hawks, uh, but yeah, the African auger buzzard and Safari is one of my favorites. And I think Safari is one of your favorites too, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, it kind of began my love for birds, uh, working with those guys and yeah. working with many of the parrots there. I I didn't know it, but at the time, uh, that was just the beginning of, of what is now become my entirety of my life. So, yes. yeah, that was the beginning of it all.
0: Yeah, and then there was also Attila. Uh,
1: absolutely oh
0: I miss that bird she big yeah. bird oh, vulture she was she was a lot of fun to work with absolutely yeah. something else yeah yeah so again I've known Adam for a little while and uh, we've trained some birds together and some other different animals together and it's, a, it's a lot of fun um, cool so you know how long have you been working at uh, natural encounters now
1: uh, just about five years now that's uh, crazy yeah <laughs> it, it's i have no pun intended because i hate that but it flies by <laughs> <laughs> it
0: really you were does. you were just a little kid when i met you man now look at you yeah i was 12
1: <laughs> years old so
0: <laughs> no not really uh no no it's really. <laughs> no, it's look man it's it's so cool i just i love um i love i love seeing my friends flourish like who wouldn't right uh, and, and Adam really has, has done some really cool stuff and, and amazing things. And I love that his focus is behavior and education now, um, taking after me, man, doing the behavior thing. love it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> but it's great. It's, that's, that's a lot of fun. That's really cool. So, you know, I know earlier you were telling me a little bit more, we were talking about natural encounters and, and, um, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little about that nonprofit side. So why don't you tell us about, uh, the conservation and, and nonprofit work that you guys do?
1: Absolutely. Um, So our main company that I work for is Natural Encounters Incorporated. However, we have a subset of our company that is the Natural Encounters Conservation Fund. Uh, And it does some truly amazing work where we're able to help uh, care for, or or help support conservation efforts throughout South America, even even Africa as well, places all over the world to help many species that are really in need of a little bit of extra help. And like I mentioned, the blue-throated macaw earlier, that's just one of the the flagship species that we really try to care for and help support the conservation efforts um, for in-situ conservation programs. Many times we'll go to work with other zoos or conservation efforts throughout North America. And many of the proceeds that we get from that go straight back into conservation efforts so that we can help restore the populations to many animals and help care for the natural world.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. Really cool. And, um, you know, so uh, is there a website or something like that that people could go to and visit and maybe, you know, get some more information on that?
1: Oh, I mean, absolutely. If you wanted to check us out or learn more about anything we do, uh, our company is, our website is naturalencounters.com. Pretty simple. Um, and on there, you can actually find a ton of resources. You can find papers um, to behavioral, yeah. What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh Papers that are basically just uh, presentations or keynote speeches, and uh, many resources like uh, jesses and uh, crafting equipment for birds of prey, to um, just learning more a little more about how we all learn.
0: That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, and you, any any uh, bird of prey people out there? That's that's kind of neat. I like that a lot. And go learn how to make yeah. and, cool. And you guys, uh, you do that. You guys still using a lot of the paracord stuff.
1: Um, well, honestly, we've been able to remove most of the equipment off of a lot of our birds. Um, so a lot of our owls and even some of the hawks that we were flying there for a while, uh, had no equipment at all. And, um, I mean, many other species that some people do put equipment on such as crows and ravens. Uh, we highly discourage that. Um, one of the beautiful things about, uh, working with the birds is that they go wherever they would like to go. And it's, uh, up to us to hopefully, uh, Encourage them to do what we ask for through consequences, because um, that's the only part of anything we can control. We can't control the behavior. Uh, we can control the antecedents or the environmental cues and the consequences that follow. So uh, many times we find that just as like that are, um, unless we're in a particular area where we need them for a safety purpose, sure, that they are not necessarily uh, something we need.
0: And while we're talking about that, for those who don't know, um, Jesses are the little straps that will actually hang down from a bird's feet. Uh, birds of prey, hawks, owls, vultures, those kinds of birds, um, a lot of times you use that to secure them to the glove. And that's that's awesome. That's fascinating and really cool stuff that they're getting away from using a restraint and they're relying on reinforcement, punishment, or consequence um, in order to strengthen desired behaviors, and and of course, you know, we want to uh, lessen undesired behaviors. And it's phenomenal. You know, this is something I talk about in my Dog Psychology 101. Once again, I'm referencing again, guys, all my listeners, go back and listen to the Dog Psychology 101 uh, because really, what it is, it's a very basic and and brief synopsis of what reinforcement and what punishment mean. And it applies to every animal, no matter I'm working with a dog, cat, Adam's working with crows, birds of prey. I used to work a lot with with those species as well. And it's again, it's understanding the concept of what a reward and what a punishment or consequence is and learning how to manipulate and use those. And again, the animal figures out really fast. Oh, my gosh, I get fed coming over to you. This is this is pretty cool. Uh, You know, and that's just that basic understanding that really can help you work in a more cohesive way. With the animals, um, and and again, to me, hearing that you're removing restraint like that, that's that's so phenomenal. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been proven that uh, control is a primary reinforcer. So having the the ability to choose, you know, what that animal does in its day to day actions is uh, oftentimes something that can further reinforce behavior which is fascinating. Uh, yeah. We could delve into that all
0: day. Oh, right? man, we could be here for like three hours and bore half the listeners. No offense yes. to anybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, we get pretty dry with this stuff. Um, you know, but it's, it's I I mean, really, I could just sit here and talk all day about it. This is, you know, this is the bread and butter of what we, what we do. And this is part of what I try to convey to my my clients is you have to understand some basic level of psychology and reinforcement in order mm-hmm. to get any result in working with an animal. It's no, you know, it's funny. It's no different than managing people. It really isn't. Uh, A good manager understands personality types and understands what motivates a worker. And we utilize that all the time in a work environment and don't even realize we're using reinforcement and punishment. And it's the same concepts as working with a bird, dog, cat, uh, what have you. So, Absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah. These concepts are all around us. Now, behavior never takes a break, right? It's always happening. Uh, you're always. Right now, I'm either reinforcing my listeners that they like what they hear and they want to keep listening to it, or hey, maybe you're deciding you don't like what I'm saying and you're going to go, ah, screw this guy. I'm not listening to him anymore. Guess what? I just punish that behavior or I reinforce that behavior. Um, Absolutely. You know. So that's that's what's really fascinating about this stuff is you can just you can just kind of go forever with it. Um, mm-hmm. and it's really cool and really neat stuff. So, again, any listeners, um, naturalencounters.com, that's that's a great uh, uh, resource to be able to get more information. So that's cool. Nice. I love it. See, I knew Adam would be awesome to have on the show. I love this. Uh, All right. So, hey, what are some fantastic and fun and cool different behaviors you guys have been teaching lately that you think are just kind of neat well what I mean look one thing i know you guys do is the uh uh the grape with the is that, that's what the chart no it's about the trumpeters remind yeah, me yeah uh, yeah it's the trumpeter hornbills yeah. okay yeah they toss a grape up in the air and you know these birds can actually take a vertical flight uh straight up and come back down it, really cool so yeah i mean go ahead tell us tell us some cool behaviors you guys have done
1: uh, well, one of the neat things is we train only positive, or not only positive, what I'm saying. Um, yeah. So we train uh, using natural behaviors. So none of these guys are doing any sort of tricks or anything. Uh, what we're trying to do is find that animal, find why you would want to go and watch them out in nature. And we want to share that with people in a way they can appreciate in a show format. So, for instance, the Trumpeter Hornbill, uh, the way that their their wings and also their tail is adapted for makes it so that they are incredibly agile at flying so the way that we do that is we try to toss that grape up in the air and they will fly vertically to catch it and it's amazing and uh we can talk a little more about how we've had to adjust that for covid too uh to make that <laughs> oh, more of a f- thing
0: sure because the kid would come up and, and yeah yeah that's right that's right so oh, we
1: actually came up with an ingenious way to fix this and i have to credit my team uh there's a one of my my coworkers i work with who's a dad and uh He has this rocket launcher in his backyard that his kids had. So we had a feeling
0: this was coming.
1: (laughs) We modified the rocket launcher to uh, put a grape in it, and then we taught the uh, trumpeter hornbill that it was going to come from the rocket launcher. God, that's awesome! And uh, so now we have a way for the kids to stomp on the launcher, still shoot the grape up, and it gets us a great way to incorporate people. Into the show. That's in even the more of the pandemic.
0: That's even more fun than tossing the grape up in the air. <laughs> I, I think so too. I,
1: I hope it sticks around.
0: That's awesome. I love it. I love it. That's so, phenomenal. Uh,
1: that's only one of the behaviors. I mean, yeah. some things we do are not so so crazy interesting. Um, there are some things that we've been working on, and we, we focus a lot on choice. And um, you know, uh, we take a look at the matching law. And you know, for those of you who are you know maybe not as as a behavior nerd oriented then um, the matching law states that when two options are available the animal is going to take the path with the most reinforcement or the least punishment Um, so we've been taking a look at what it means for something to be voluntary and what it means for animals to be participants in their own day-to-day lives so we try to look at um, some behaviors like uh, voluntary nail trims where we teach some of the birds to uh, willingly come over put their foot onto the side of the the flight where they live in and we use a dremel to um, their own choice, put them out there and uh, trim nails because they're constantly growing just like our hair and our fingernails are. It's made out of the same exact stuff, the keratin. So um, we train some some things like that. Um, I've also been working a lot with a lot of raptors lately, sp- specifically uh, bald eagles and a harpy eagle right now. Uh, so that's where a lot of my time has gone um, is mostly maintaining behaviors, but it's uh, kind of interesting, you know, as you're talking about training and behavior earlier. Um, to me, it's kind of been an amazing avenue in life because as a kid, everybody thinks about um, superpowers. And in, in, if you could have any superpower in the world, what would, what would that be? And for me, you know, talking to animals was always like a high, a high priority on that list. And the beauty of training and behavior is that you can, is that you can. Um, when you training is not necessarily that I'm bestowing knowledge onto anybody. It's more or less that I'm giving that animal a voice to say something to me. And it's up to me to adjust and listen to that response. And, um, in a way that's kind of creates these, these moments that there are just completely fleeting, but also indescribable where, you know, you have this opportunity to communicate with that animal. And it, that's it, a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Without sounding too new agey here.
0: <laughs> no, I know. I know what you mean. You know, uh... It's funny. I was talking with somebody the other day about sixth sense. Do animals have Mm -hmm. a sixth sense? Um, And you know, this is, this is like a fine line conversation, right? (laughs) Can you really communicate with animals? I agree with you. You can. Um, But you have to tap into the way they communicate. Yes. Um, And I love it because you guys focus on the natural um, side of it and the instinctual side of it. And that's, it's it's hitting the nail on the head. You have to understand what the animal is, and then you can communicate with it in a way that it understands. But you you have to come down to their level, and instinctu again instinctually get that before you can expect to to create that connection. And I think most people, um, it's not that they lack the ability; it's they lack the knowledge and mm-hmm. patience. Uh, yeah. to be able to do that, and so to me, it's not this like sixth sense kind of thing. Um, but animals speak a different language. It's body language. Absolutely. It's yeah, sure, some vocal communications depending upon uh, what it, scent communication. I mean, there's all these different things depending on what animal you're working with that I don't think it's necessarily the sixth sense understanding. People go, oh, you're a dog whisperer. You're an animal whisperer. And I go, no, I'm, I'm not. No. Like, I'm really not. I'm not doing anything magical. Um, it's it's no, My look, my wife's an accountant, right? I couldn't begin <laughs> to understand and do her job. I, I can't. She is like, a, a, <laughs> she's a wizard. She's a wizard and she gets it and it makes sense. and And that's just it she has the knowledge and understanding and that's why she's good at it. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. just it from us. Our perspective is we have the knowledge and understanding and that's why we're good at it. Um, it's not this magical thing. It's, it's an understanding and then a relationship after that understanding.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, we build relationship through the consequences of what happens, you know, whether it's reinforcing or punishing and, you know, through repetitions and through repetitions, we build fluency. So, um, it, it, we can develop this language, not because we, it's in something we inherently understand. You know, words for animals are useless, unless we give that particular word some sort of meaning Match through it. a consequence yeah, exactly. or a reinforcer. Exactly. So uh, you're right. It is definitely something that is is learned in, in for the animal and for the human as well. Absolutely. And I think that that is the key there. And
0: listening is the big key, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I I used to say all the time um, when I worked at the show, you know, I tried I tried to incorporate any kind of education when I was on stage if I had a moment to. Um, And to me, I always tried to teach that the most important thing when you're working with an animal is that relationship um, without a doubt you know, there has to be that level of trust and that trust is earned through reinforcement consequence, but it's all, it all kind of comes back to it, you know, again, reinforcement history. Yeah. And that understand, and again, you have to understand it and, and be able to apply it after you understand it. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. The relationship is really the important thing. Yeah. So, I know you're saying harpy eagle and and uh, bald yeah. eagle. Would you say those are have maybe have become your favorite species to work with, or, or what what particular a particular bird, or maybe a particular individual bird uh, that you really have found a extra special connection with?
1: Well, you're probably going to hate this answer, uh, and those of you out there are probably going to hate this answer too. Uh-oh. But I think that all of them bring something to the table that is unique in, in each. It's but it's very true though. <laughs> I'm uh, just you know, giving
0: the art time.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, it, and you know, I, I'm sure people could understand that too. Like if you have more than one dog, you can understand that each one brings something special. And m- maybe
0: children too. I don't know. know, yeah, Maybe. maybe. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, you
1: know. who are we talking to? Yeah, now? exactly. You know, the audience. <laughs> um, you know, for instance, I work with, you know, those Raptors and, and we've built up what we would call a relationship through reinforcement history. And for me, that's something that's kind of special because I feel that we communicate with each other at a high level, which is something you have to work towards, But to the opposite degree, you know, I really value the mimicry ability of some of the parrots that I work with (laughs) and and what we've been able to capture through training um, and, and maintain through reinforcement history as well. But also the intelligence of things like a ground hornbill or the intelligence in problem solving skills of a pied crow are just oh, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Or even the beauty of other species like a toucan and mm-hmm. seeing that the beak is made of keratin and it, it can be translucent in the right light. And things like that are, are they all bring something special and it's hard for me to pick just one favorite.
0: I get what you're saying. I get it.
1: And that's sort of the kind of thing that I hope to share with the guests in the park so that, you know, they might agree and gain an appreciation for that trumpeter hornbill, not because he was on my hand and we took a cool picture, but because they were able to see something and appreciate that they might be able to see out in the forest of Africa if they were ever there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, that hits on, kind of hits on another point. It's really important. Um it's very important, beyond important, that we have this close relationship. A story I always tell is when I, um, when I worked at that other place, uh, <laughs> and I would come out with a, you know, a hawk, actually, it was safari most of the time on my arm, and I'd have this beautiful hawk, and this one day this like 12 year- old kid, I mean, 12 year old boy comes up and goes, "Wow, what kind of owl is that?" <laughs> and I went, "My God, we are failing our children when a kid doesn't even know what an owl looks like. And that is why our efforts, for your efforts, should I say, with conservation, education, zoos, all these things are so vitally important. To have that one-on-one, to be able to see the translucent, be- those are the things that are so important and really enhance the education, the curiosity, and the understanding uh, between people and animals. And I think we really, we're, we're lacking that nowadays. We are. And so, it's, it's something that's really, really important that we get these animals out to the public. We show them there is a cohesive way and a proper and a right way to work with these animals. And again, you guys are doing it and I love it. It's, it's really, really awesome. We try.
1: Yeah, we try. And I think you really nailed it. it I think a lot of it begins with an awareness and that's mm-hmm. what we are trying to do here is not necessarily have somebody go out and sell their house and donate it to charity so that we can help save the blue throated macaw. It's just so that maybe people do a Google search and they start to look at what's out there, or maybe they find a cool picture and they want to learn a little more, or maybe they want to go and just look at maybe some other species that might be in their own backyard or keep an eye out for that great horned owl at night. And things like that are what we do it for. So that now that when that kid comes up the next time he goes, Oh, that's an auger buzzard. And then when somebody later calls a a vulture, a buzzard, then we can go down that road too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, I, one of my earliest animal memories, and, and my, my uh, guest from, what, two to three episodes ago, we were kind of talking about, hey, what got you into animal? What made you want to work with animals? And it wasn't like this particular aha moment for me. It was a lot of different memories built up over the years. And it's so funny because, I mean, going back to me being really young, I have these animal memories that are just so profound and stick out, um, and they're vivid. And one of them was actually going to one of those theme parks when I was a little kid, and watching the the hawk come down and land on the glove. And I just remember going, whoa, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I want to do that. And then I ended up working there at that exact place uh, when I got older. And that was the first time I caught that hawk in the show, man. Oh, God, I'm getting chills right now. I really am. I'm getting chills. But the point I'm making is that's what turned me on to animals is those moments Uh, being able Mm -hmm. to, I remember going to one of the other theme parks where they had, this was well before they had their larger, uh, animal collection, but on the, on the smaller one, I remember seeing the bald eagle and, and all the macaws and just, it it just, it really intrigued me. And it's what sort of, sort of, I guess was one of those little sparks for me. And how how about, how about you? I mean, I know you grew up around a lot of animals, um, in general, but would you say there was a moment that, that kind of led you to it? It's funny, you know, I
1: tripped and fell and it hit me in the face. Uh, Growing up, (laughs) I grew up on a farm. Uh, We had horses all the time. My mom was the lady who could never say no. We had dogs and cats and chickens. And I mean, for for goodness sake, we had a whole koi pond that somebody had to get rid of. And my mom said, "Okay, we'll take it. You know, and here we are with, you know, uh, everything you could ever imagine on on a farm. And I was, you know, at the time I viewed it as free labor, Uh, but (laughs) When I got into the workforce, it actually made it so that I was like, oh, wow, you just you want me to do that? That's easy. You know, I've been shoveling <laughs> poop my whole life. life. So yeah, so this is nothing. Um, I was going to school for uh, for art. I, actually, I was going to college for art, and I thought I was going to go be a visual arts major and get into advertising. That's what I was thinking. Meanwhile, I started volunteering at the Central Florida Zoo in Botanical Gardens right here in Central Florida, and I became a docent there. And I did that for about a year and a half, two years. And I found myself looking forward to that way more than my regular nine to five job that I was doing, which was a lifeguard. And that was cool and easy and all right, but I just, it wasn't fulfilling and I was looking forward to going to the zoo. And I just, one day I was working at another theme park and see this, there's a trend here. Central Florida is just theme <laughs> parks and people who work there. Um, so I was working at another theme park and, uh, pretty much, um, what had happened is I had met a, an, an animal trainer there inside that theme park. And we had discussions for hours at a time. And, um, finally one day he came up to me and said, Hey, you know, a, a friend of mine, he's, he's hiring for, you know, another theme park and you could go work there. It'd be the bottom of the barrel. You'd be cleaning poop most of the time, but it'd be a good start. And I jumped on the opportunity and I haven't looked back since it's yeah. been a phenomenal ride where, uh, You know, it's been a, it's been a growth where we're constantly learning and and, and adapting and and, and changing, but it's uh, led me here. And that's, that's not a bad place to be. Nice. So there's
0: the short answer. You don't want to hear the long (laughs) answer. (laughs) Nice. All right. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Hey, look, uh, Adam, you know, it's it's been this has been too much fun. Um, might have to have you back on here again and and maybe go go more in depth on some behavioral stuff and and some philosophy. And I think that would be a great Please. time. Um, but hey, just thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Again, guys, Natural Encounters Incorporated. It's naturalencounters.com just a Mm -hmm. slew of great information and resources there about behavior, about their conservation efforts, really a great company, doing great things with animals. Um, so Adam, thank you so much again for coming on and uh, hopefully we'll have you here soon.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. Hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Don't forget to click that subscribe button and check out our website, www.speakadogcast.com. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Vince in Philadelphia, and Vince asks, "Why do dogs dig and what can I do to stop it?" Short answer, well, dogs usually dig because of boredom and understimulation. Easiest way to solve this is to go for a proper walk and have proper structured exercise. If you haven't listened to my podcast segment on walks and walking your dog, I highly recommend you go back and check that out. A lot of important information in there that applies directly to this. But really, it's just keeping them mentally engaged and mentally stimulated. Uh, Physical stuff, throwing a tennis ball, playing, fetch, playtime, those are all great supplements, but they're not doing anything for mentally engaging them. The more you can mentally engage your dog, the less likely they are to be physically destructive. The next question comes from Carol in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Carol asks, how do I stop my dog from jumping on people? Short answer, leash him up. That's right. When people come to the front door, you should be leashing up your dog. You don't want to forfeit all your control. You need to have the ability to have control and be able to guide and direct your dog's focus and behavior. The leash allows you to do that. And when your dog goes to start to jump on somebody, well, guess what? You can take that leash, turn, and walk away, and redirect that behavior. And before you know it, you can guide and direct them back to the person and reward them for calm behavior, sitting and and uh, as opposed to jumping all over them. So the leash is is vital in this. I highly recommend leashing up your dog in order to get them to stop jumping on people. And the next question comes from Johnny in Winter Springs, Florida. Johnny asks, David. What's your favorite breed to work with? <laughs> okay, not a training question, but I loved it, so I want to answer it. Of course, I could say the corny response of I love working with all dogs. <laughs> it's true, it is. I do. If I didn't, I wouldn't do what I, you know, do for a living. But I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I love retrievers. Golden Retrievers especially, but I am partial to Retrievers. They're just so happy, easy to work with. They're a good dog for families and really just a well-rounded dog. So yes, Retrievers, especially Golden Retrievers, they do tend to be my favorite breed to work with. I'm loving all these questions. They are fantastic. If any of you out there have any more training or dog questions in general, please feel free to reach out to me at questions at speakadogcast.com. That's questions at speakadogcast.com. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you for listening in and joining me today. And of course, a very special thank you to Adam Geltz from Natural Encounters Incorporated for being my guest today. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Find me on Instagram, Facebook. Don't forget to click subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. And of course, I want you guys to have a wonderful week. And don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.